This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... We want to focus and discuss why the transitional period has failed to achieve peace and transition to democracy. That's... uh... Janet Awino, who's among at least 5,000 young Kenyans using an anonymous sex education app. Details coming up. Also, the faithful are lining up to pay their respects to Pope Benedict. Two lawmakers in Senegal have been sentenced for assaulting a pregnant colleague. And Washington has dropped Burkina Faso from its Agoa trade preference program. We'll have these stories and more on African News tonight. We start with our top story. The faithful are lining up to pay their respects to Pope Emeritus Benedict at St. Peter's Basilica, where he is lying in state. Some had been waiting for hours when the doors were finally opened. Benedict's body, dressed in traditional red liturgical garments with a mitre, will lie in state until Wednesday. Benedict-born Joseph Ratzinger was 95 at the time of his death. On Thursday, Pope Francis will become the first pope in modern history to preside as pope at the funeral of his predecessor, according to the Vatican website. In Uganda, Aloysius Ivan Kalinzi, the head of the Leite office for the Kampala Archdiocese, was among those remembering the late pope. The late Pope Benedict XVI, I would say, has been a devoted Christian, uh, who guided the church through some time, and maybe at times with a number of challenges, but he steered ahead of the church, and has been a committed person as far as leadership is concerned. But when he saw that he was weak, he became the first people, the, the first pope in over 600 years to step aside and give way to a new pope. I think that was also very courageous. Uh, many leaders, many popes, even other leaders, they die in the seat or when they are still ha- ha- handling the old, having the mantle of leadership. So it was also a unique pope in that area. But also, He's a pope whom you normally say emeritus who has taken a quiet life after his designation and he has spent most of the time praying for the church and not interrupting the stewardship of the new pope, the current Pope Francis. You know, in leadership at times when you are there and you feel you are strong and have been leading, you feel maybe you know more than the others and all the time you want to interrupt, intervene. But he has kept a low profile and let the current leadership handle the mantle of leadership of the Catholic Church. So I think that was a, something great and which I can remember about him. To me it meant somebody who can, like me, I'm a head of late, but it does mean that I have to be permanent. I think I picked a lesson from him that yes, you can leave the chair and others can steer on. 
and actually I'm following that because I'm having my first term and the elections are near, but I'm going to step aside and we'll get new blood. So I think that's what it means to me that, yes, in leadership there are many leaders who can come along. And in Uganda here we have something where we have the same leaders for so long and I think they should take a leave from that late pop. Roman Catholic nun born Consili Kumangi was another who recalled Pope Benedict. I can describe Pope Benedict. Uh, he was a father to everybody. Being that he was a leader to the Catholic Church, but he was special in love. He loved the church, he loved the Catholic people, even non-Catholics. He was a real father, a real parent. Pope Benedict, he was a good leader. And that's why during his reign, he stepped aside. Because it seems he saw something and he said, okay, I've been a leader in the Catholic Church, but anybody can come and lead. So he stepped aside and uh, Pope Francis took over and he's our leader today. So we thank Pope Benedict. What he did, uh, at first it was a shock especially to the Catholics. But uh, at the end, we saw it was uh, meaningful. And the Reverend Joseph Mary Sesbunia, the Chancellor of Kampala Archdiocese, had these thoughts. Pope Benedict XVI was one of the greatest brains, the greatest pops the church had ever had. Right from his childhood, he was a great theologian. In Germany, he was known. He was bishop of one of the biggest dioceses, Archbishop of Munich. That's the biggest Catholic diocese in Germany. And he managed to steer that until he came to Rome. All the time, he was a professor. He wrote many books. As a student in Rome and all of us doing theology, we all remember something about Pope Benedict, writing from a whole scope of theology. He was just an accomplished theologian. He could speak about almost anything. Very lucidly, but very deep. Remember his last work he wrote to us, Jesus of Nazareth. People read it and read it, and up now we're still reading and writing about it. It was so deep, and that's how deep he was. In theology, in church history, in liturgy, he was a profound person. Yet he always considered himself a humble servant in the vineyard of the Lord. And we thank him for having, at that age, uh, accepted, take up the mantle of Pope. As a student in Rome, I was blessed to meet him one-on-one. And one funny thing happened. I had my flag of Uganda. I remember those memories. I have that photo with me. I was waving the flag of Uganda. And as he came greeting the priests in Rome, he stopped by me and asked me in German. My German was not good at that time. He says, are you German? Look, a black German someone with a flag. I said, Holy Father, I'm Ugandan. And then looked at my flag a few seconds and observed. You know, the flag of Germany and Uganda are very close. It's black, here, red, but ours is twice. So he was happy and then like, how is Cardinal Amala? And that touched me because he never came to Uganda, but he had a memory of people from all over the world. He had a deep knowledge and consciousness of the universal church, 
and the world. Benedict was Pope from April 2005 until February 2013. He made history as the first Pope in 600 years to retire while in office. He resigned because he said his health impaired his ability to serve as the head of the church. Kenya's health ministry says digital sex education services launched to help reign in the country's uh, teenage pregnancy problem have attracted more than 5,000 youths. Nena na binti, which means speak with a sister in Swahili, gives information and counseling on reproductive health by mobile application and a toll-free number to Kenyan teenagers who have the world's third highest rate of pregnancy. Victoria Munga reports from Nairobi. Kenya's recent national data shows that one in five teenage girls is a mother by the age of 19. The country ranks third worldwide in teenage pregnancy. Aid groups are trying to help by providing sex education digitally. One mobile application called Nena Nabinti, which means speak with a sister in Swahili, provides teenagers extensive information on reproductive health and direct interaction with professionals and counselors remotely. It also provides a phone number for app users. Janet Awino is among at least 5,000 young people using the platforms, especially for family planning education. She says, I speak with a person that I cannot see, and that helps me to be open. You can speak with just anyone. Some people can't keep secrets. Virginia Mushira, a mother of one, says she could have benefited from reproductive information such apps provide. She says, my mom and dad were not the type to teach me about these things. We would meet at the table to eat and everyone goes their own way. They would talk about other things, but not about reproduction. They wouldn't tell me. A September 2022 study by Kenya's Ministry of Health found that a lack of information on reproductive health contributed to a surge in teen pregnancies. Experts say many teens are afraid to speak with their families about sex and reproduction, and having access to such information can go a long way to remedy the situation. Rita Obonyo is the coordinator at Reproductive Health Network Kenya. A lot of the clients who call, if they are adolescents 10 to 17, they want to know more about menstruation. Others call knowing, uh, inquiring on uh, safe days. Others call wanting to know the effects of contraceptive. State authorities say that training young people in communities to assist in programs that benefit young mothers, as Christine Oduol, a community health volunteer, explains. She says some want to go back to school, so we take them back to school. Others say they cannot continue with school, so we give them skills. Some are also taught about employability and starting a business. The Ministry of Health adopted a 10-year national reproductive health policy in July that, among other things, seeks to address adolescents and young adults' reproductive health. Authorities hope that such initiatives as Nena Nabinti will boost efforts to control teenage pregnancies in the coming years. Victoria Amunga for VOA News, Nairobi. Ivory Coast says it sent 46 soldiers to Mali to provide backup security for the UN peacekeeping mission. But Mali branded them as mercenaries seeking to undermine its security and they were sentenced Friday to 20 years in prison. 
The proceedings were held behind closed doors and under heavy security. Three women soldiers who were among the original group detained in July and who were freed in early September were sentenced to death in absentia. The court proceedings came in the run-up to a January 1st deadline set by West African leaders from, for Mali to release the soldiers or face sanctions. An agreement reached last week between Mali and Ivory Coast leaves the possibility open of a presidential pardon by Mali's junta leader, Asimi Goita. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm Iheyes Wuhib in Washington. Two lawmakers in Senegal have been sentenced to two months in jail for assaulting a pregnant colleague in a brawl in the National Assembly. The court also ordered the two men, Amadou Niang and Masata Samb of the opposition PUR party to pay $8,200 to parliamentary member Ami Ndaye Nabi of the ruling Beno Bokyakar coalition. Reuters says Samb slapped her during a budget debate early last month after she scoffed at his criticism of her. Other lawmakers pushed Gimbi to the ground after she threw a chair at Samb while Niang kicked her in the abdomen. Reuters notes that political tensions have increased since the ruling party lost its majority in legislative elections in July. The news service says the loss is seen as a rebuke of President Saad, who has not announced if he will seek a third term in 2024. The opposition says the move would violate team limits, uh, term limits and an earlier promise not to run. In Nigeria, violent crime, long-running insurgencies and communal clashes have left many people feeling very insecure. In October, the United States government ordered the families of its diplomats in Nigeria to leave the country because of security fears and warned Americans against travel to the country. The British government and several others also warned against visiting Nigeria. VOA's Kate Dawson spoke with Mark Dirksen, a researcher at the Africa Center for Strategic Studies, who studies Africa's rising urbanization and the security and other challenges that presents. He began by giving an overview of the problem. Insecurity in Nigeria is um, a really uh, significant issue currently. Um, I think that the situation hasn't been great for a while now, but has um, even deteriorated in the last um, couple of years. Um, but I think it, it's important to realize that um, you know the, the situation isn't uniform throughout the country. There are specific corridors where um, there are different armed groups operating. There are different um, security threats. Um, that said, um, there is um, kind of a generalized uh, precarity throughout the country. Um, people are struggling economically. Um, people are um, wondering what is the future holds for the country. Um, and there is a lot of tension um, around, especially around access to resources. Um, so there, we're seeing a number of, of clashes around um, of land um, driven by um, population growth, by environmental degradation, um, around um, government corruption, around how land is allocated and used. So between 2020 and 2021, um, 
communal violence around land and water access, um, pasture, um, violence around um, access to those resources um, more than doubled um, over that span of time. And that trend has continued um, over 2022, um, staying about at the, the same levels as 2021. So it really is a um, you know, Nigerians are, are very concerned about uh, the insecurity um, that they read about in the news, about kidnappings, about um, farmer herder clashes, about banditry. Um, and then, um, but it, meanwhile, um, actually in the, the northeast of the country, um, the, the violence um, associated with uh, Boko Haram has actually decreased across 2022. Um, so as I said, you know, the situation isn't um, the same across the country. There are pockets where insecurity is, is very um, uh, extreme um, and others where um, you know things might actually be improving. But that said, it is a, a concern that Nigerians have. Um, and it's reflected in, I think, um, the uh, approval rating polls that they have for um, President Buhari, which have trended downward since he was reelected in 2019. Um, they, now it's about 65% disapproval. Um, so there really is, I think, a, a sense that something needs to to change and that um, a new strategy um, needs to be introduced. Now let's talk about the elections. There have been attacks on election uh, commission offices. There have been attacks on some political party offices. Is the violence a threat to actually being able to carry out those February 2023 elections? Yeah, that's that's a, a real concern. Um, I mean, there's there's this hope and this optimism around the election that it's um, a chance to um, rewrite the narrative for the country, to re-strategize, to bring in new, fresh policy thinking around insecurity. But then, so you know, there's actually been um, uh, over 11 million new voters registered. Over 84% of those are under the age of, of 34. So there is this um, groundswell of, of um, kind of uh, energy around the election, but then there's also this this concern that the election itself could be um, a source of insecurity. The Electoral Commission has been working very hard to you know, reassure people to um, put in place security around polling stations. Um, there have been some promising signs from the gubernatorial elections. Um, in Akiti and Oshun State um, over the past year that those had lower levels of violence and went off relatively smoothly compared to the past. So I think that there there is hope that that, that is setting the, the trend for what we'll, we'll see in February. That was Mark Durkison with the Africa Center for Strategic Studies here in Washington. He spoke with VOA's Kate Pondawson. Reigning African champion South Africa has been drawn into a very difficult group for next year's FIFA's Women's World Cup football tournament in Australia and New Zealand. Darren Taylor has reaction from South Africa's head coach and a top South African football official. If the South Africans are daunted by the challenge that awaits them in July and August next year, they aren't showing it. After the draw, Banyana Banyana coach Desiree Ellis described it as reasonable, saying it could have been tougher. These sentiments were echoed by vice president of the South African Football Association, Natasha Chiklas, during an online conference with journalists. All the teams are very strong. Yes, we do have two European sides. 
I think Sweden, uh, in my opinion, is stronger than Italy. At the moment, Argentina is number 29 in FIFA range, so, you know, not too bad. Don't forget, with champions of Africa, other countries after the draw, they're talking about South Africa as well. And uh, we are very strong uh, opponent to any other country. Banyana have beaten the best in Africa, but they've never been victorious against the world's truly top teams although they earned a creditable nil-nil draw against Sweden in 2019. Later that year, Banyana failed to make it out of the group stage at their maiden World Cup, held in France. Brazil hammered them in two friendly matches recently, Banyana losing 3-0 and 6-0. Chikla says those results don't worry her. We went to a very deep waters, and that was very clever. When I monitor and I look again and again the game, especially the first game, I think the result could have been different. We could have at least scored two goals. Okay. We learned a lot from that. The South African women also recently lost 4-1 to Australia, another of the world's leading sides. Chekla says she and her fellow officials are purposefully pairing Banyana with some of the globe's strongest teams in friendlies to prepare them for the 2023 tournament. She believes the squad's currently missing a few key elements, including greater confidence and superior fitness. We have the skills, we have the knowledge as a team. I think we need to rejuvenate quicker, faster also to score the opportunities. We must take, uh, you know, our chances and score. We have to play with the best. In the end of the day, we need strong opponents in order for us to fix whatever we need to. We are very strong, but we have to believe. We, I mean, we are. We are the best in Africa. But also we have to start behaving like this as well. Chikla says she doesn't want to stick her neck out too far by trying to predict Banyana Banyana's performance at the World Cup. But she emphasizes that does not mean she's not optimistic. We do have a, a great opportunity to go further. It's our time now. To make sure of getting out of their group next year, Banyana are probably going to have to beat either Sweden or Italy and the Argentina game is a must-win. It's a long shot. Sweden have pedigree, consistently making quarter-finals and semi-finals and being runners-up in 2003. Italy have reached the quarter-finals twice. Africa's other representatives at the tournament are Morocco, Nigeria and Zambia. In the group stage, Morocco have Germany, Colombia and Korea Republic. Nigeria could also struggle to get past the group stage, having drawn Australia, Ireland and Canada. On paper, Zambia appear to have the best chance of making the knockout phase, having to contend with Costa Rica, Spain and Japan in Group C. At this stage, according to pundits and the FIFA rankings, favourites to capture the trophy will be multiple world champions, the United States, with England, Sweden, France, Germany and the Netherlands also strong contenders. 
Bookmakers and experts aren't giving a team from Africa much hope at all. Chikla says she hopes other nations at the World Cup follow their lead because the more under the radar the African teams stay, the greater the possibility of them pulling off major upsets. I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Iheyus Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Baro, and our engineer, Cornelius Tanner, thanks for choosing the Voice of America.